Welcome to the EFCA West podcast. I'm Tim Jacobs, District Superintendent of EFCA West and your host for today's podcast. But first, before we go any further, I have one question for you. Have you signed up for our conference at North Coast Church January 21st and 22nd? Go to efcawest2021.com, efcawest2021.com. This is your opportunity to be renewed, to recalibrate, to reconnect, and just get around some fun people for a change. You know, I mean, we've been locked away and social distance, and we'll still do that at North Coast, but wouldn't it be great to actually see each other in person? And I think it was our president, Kevin Complin, that said, the coals stay warm when they're closer together. And I totally believe and agree with that. So come to North Coast because it's warm there anyway, especially in January. So you got to make sure and do that. Now, you've heard me say this before, but I love our tribe. I think that the Evangelical Free Church of America has a mission and a message that can resonate with every corner of America. And while we have a great history and heritage and everybody knows that, what I think we have that's even better is our future. I believe that the best days for the Evangelical Free Church of America and every church that is represented by it, I believe the the best days that we have are ahead of us. They haven't happened yet. But if we're going to see those days come to fruition, if we're going to see the vision that God has put in our hearts, then we're not only going to need to clarify that vision and communicate that vision, but we're going to need to fund that vision. We got to figure out how we're going to fund what it is that God has put on our hearts to do. And I think there is way more information and resources available to you right now than you can even imagine. And that's where Christian Investors Financial comes in. And so I'm pleased to welcome to the podcast the president and CEO of Christian Investors Financial, Mr. Scott Ochterling. Scott, how are you doing today, sir? I'm doing great, Tim. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thanks for coming on and, and talking with me today. Where there's so many things I want to talk to you about, but first, you recently took over the helm for CIF. So tell us about that and just a little bit about your background and kind of who you are and where you live and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, took over the, uh, the, the, the chair I'm in now uh, back on June 1st. Um, I've actually been, uh, been with CIF since 2007. So I've uh, been part of this great ministry, great organization for a number of years, and um, our, my predecessor, Paul Anderson, who I'm sure a lot of your listeners know, um, he was uh, at the helm here for about uh, 18 years and um, decided that uh, it was maybe time to do something different. So I continue to be able to work alongside him, but um, yeah, it's been, it's, been a, it's been a wild ride this 2020, and I'm sure as you've even mentioned a little bit in your opening there. But it's been a, it's been a great great journey uh, so far, and about five months in. But uh, yeah, I live live in Minnesota. Um, our Christian investors' offices are are out of the EFCA national office. I live um, over on the east side of the Twin Cities with my wife, and we have one son, six years old. And uh, yeah, loving life. And twenty twenty has been been a a year of changes and a years year of adaptations. But it's been great. We're we're doing well. Good. Yeah, absolutely. And we're going to talk a lot about that. So what is Christian Investors Financial anyway? Because a lot of people just, they kind of think they know, but they don't. So tell us a little bit about you guys. Yeah, that's a lot of the, you know, we, several years ago, we did a, we did a little survey within the EFCA that said, you know, the first question was, um, have you heard of, of CIF or Christian Investors Financial? And, and the response was very high at uh, 90 plus percent. 95%, I think that was a yes. And when we asked the follow-up question, well, what do they do? Um, the, the answers dropped off significantly into in the, the confidence that people had to what we do. So I'm, I'm really happy that you asked this question and happy to speak into it. Um, I think the simplest way to put it is that we, we really are partnering um, with churches and, and communities all over the country that really work on expanding the kingdom through financial services. And that's that's really the services that we provide. And our tagline actually is financial services on a mission that um, not only be we believe that God is, has put us in a place to 
to uh, live out a mission that he is he is really crafted, but but we also get to partner with individuals and churches all across the country to help them achieve their missions and what God is calling them to do as well, and we do that through financial services. And you guys, you are related to EFCA, correct? So you're part yes, of you're correct. part of us, yeah. Yeah, we're we're affiliated um, with the EFCA. Actually, the EFCA. Um, founded us back in 1959. So we've been around for over 60 years. And really how that, uh, how that came, came to fruition was really back in the 50s, there, there were churches that were looking to, to borrow funds, um, to renovate a, a property or facility, and going down the street to the local bank, there just was a lot of challenge in that. Because the way that, I'm sure you'll get into this later too with some questions, but the way that banks look at churches, they try to underwrite them or evaluate their riskiness um, compared to a, a for-profit manufacturing uh, type of type of business. And, and as you know, and as I know, um, churches run differently than, than, than an actual business. And so the CIF was founded to really help churches navigate this really once-in-a-generation decision when they look to borrow funds to have somebody that understands them, that knows uh, the inner workings of how, how their budgets are put together, and that can really be a partner in their ministry um, as we look to fulfill, fulfill what God has called us to do, rather than looking to a bank that may just be wanting to pad their bottom line. So um, that's that's really how it was started. Um, and again, like I said, we've been around for, for 60 plus years, and we are yes, still affiliated uh, with the EFCA. And you do a range of things. I mean, you, you, you provide obviously loans for, for construction, for renovation, uh, capital campaigns, refinance. Um, but you have an investment thing as well. People can invest with you. That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. So really our services, we call them our three pillars. Number one, it's, it's really the loans that we offer. And that's, that's strictly to churches and other ministry organizations, um, to help them, buy a facility to buy some raw land for maybe a future development. Maybe they need to do capital improvements where a renovation in, you know, inside the walls is needed. Maybe an expansion is needed. So that's really the loan piece that we do, the real estate loans. And how we fund those loans is really through the investment piece that you just mentioned. And that is um, people like you and me or like your church and my church put money with us instead of putting it in the local bank. And we we then take that money and we lend it out to churches. That's where the money comes from. And we pay a rate of return to the, the person that is investing with us. Um, and then the capital campaign and consulting pillar of our work really comes alongside churches and other ministries to help them think through um, strategic planning or feasibility studies for when is it time to maybe raise some money within our congregation and how would we best go about doing that? And so we become the really the coach in that process. And so that is kind of our, our consulting and, and capital campaign arm. Yeah. And so as we start off, I just want to throw out there, you know, in Proverbs chapter 21, it says the plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. And that really struck me when I was preparing for this podcast, that verse, the plans of the diligent, that word diligent really means sharp means means directed and focused leads surely to abundance but but when you're hasty you just only come to poverty and i think that's so much of the theme of what i want to talk to you about today scott so i mean if a pastor calls you up and says i mean like because a lot of these guys and i went to seminary and they they don't teach you in seminary pretty much anything that you do, like nothing that you do, they teach us, except they just say, Hey, you may want to build a building someday. Um, so a guy calls you up, he's, he's maybe new in a church or he's got a vision to expand, to grow, to buy land, to do something. And he, he wants to call you on the phone. How, how do you help them? Where do you direct them? What do you do with someone? Cause I know we have a lot of people out there that go, you know, I, I see something. I just don't know where to start, how to start. I call you, someone calls you, what are they going to hear? Well, Tim, I, you know, I think this is where, um, and I'll say this as humbly, you know, with a humble posture, this is where I believe we, we really excel and what really sets us apart from other similar organizations out there like a bank or other type of, of financial service um, to provide clarity. Um, you know, I think being, being affiliated with, 
with uh, the denomination, we are part of the family. And so somebody that you can call up and trust to say, you know, like, like you just said, I, I have this dream or this vision about something and, and what would that even look like? And we know that a lot of times, you know, talking about money, talking about financial services, that can be scary for really a lot of people because it can be complicated. You know, I'm, I'm wired that way where numbers really make sense to me. And I understand that to a lot of people that, that isn't, that, that isn't as comfortable for them. And so we, we really take that approach to, to hold people's hand, to say, let's talk about your dream. Let's talk about what you're thinking about and how can we help you provide some clarity to, to what you're thinking, what's realistic today and maybe what's realistic in the future. It's that partnership that we have and really that commitment to service that we really provide. If, if for some reason we can't help you with today with uh, something that you're thinking about, we'll give you some, some steps or some things you could do in the future that I would say, if, you, if you're at this point in time today and we need to get to uh, a point down the road for us to be able to help you or we need your plans to be firmed up or you know, we need you to get some, some basic cost information on, on that vision or dream, we'll give you some, some, some steps you can take to get there. If we realize, realize that maybe the, um, the, the thing you're asking us to help isn't in our area of expertise, you know, we've, we've been doing this for so many years. We know a lot of people all over the country that can provide other types of services that we'd be happy to provide a warm referral to multiple areas to say, here's somebody we think that can help you, even though we can't, you know, here's an option for you so that it's, you can come to us, it's a safe space to ask your questions, to gain some information, to know that you're calling a friend. And if we don't have the answer today, or we don't have the answer at all, or we can't help you, we have a list of resources that we're happy to provide that will at least have you have those uh, individuals or churches continuing to march down the road. See, and Scott, that's the thing. I want I want you all to hear this. The CIF can and should be your first call, your first call, because what I, and I've been there, I was a church planter and then I took over a, a congregation that was hurting and needed a lot of help. And it's like, you sit there and Google something and you go, where do I go? And w- anything that you are wondering about, and I love what you said there, we were a partner, we're a friend, we were, we're part of the family and it's okay. Like if you need something, you call someone in your family and if they can't help you, they'll say, look, we can't maybe help you with this thing, but we know people who can. And we've done this for many, many years and we're experts. So I just, I want to get that across very clearly for everybody. The CIF can and should be your first call. If you don't know what you're doing, if you don't even know what to ask, you just say, hey, I want to call these guys and just say, can you help me figure out where to go from here? And there's a lot of reasons for this. And the, the biggest one now is I think because we're in this season of COVID and, you know, we were supposed to talk months ago and then that kind of all got, got uh, you know, postponed because of the, the, the pandemic. But I'll tell you, it seemed like, at least to me, anecdotally, and you would know way better than I would, that pre-COVID, things were really booming. I mean, especially here in Phoenix, we were seeing church buildings get built like crazy. And it still may be, I don't really know, but what has been the biggest impact of COVID on your whole industry right now? Well, I'd say, if I take a step back and say, just, I'd say in, in banking, financial services, if you look at the money sector, what's the number one thing that has has been impacted in, and in what, what comes to mind really is interest rates. And so interest rates, you, you, you really will see this um, anywhere you, you really look today when, I mean, you're looking at the news or different headlines is, and even in your own uh, portfolios, mortgage refinancing, I mean, interest rates are extremely low. We, you know, we continue to see year over year um, the, the general theme of, of historically low interest rates. And yet we think next year, we're not going to be able to say that again, but next year it's historically low interest rates. That's been a, uh, it's like a broken record for the past number of years, but this truly where we are right now today, historically low interest rates. And so what does that do? That really allows a, a church, um, if we're just talking about the, the pillar of loans for us, allows them to really look at if we're going to do um, a capital improvement, if we're looking to buy a facility, borrowing money is cheaper today than what it was last year, than what it was two years ago. And so it gives a lot more options um, 
that's how interest rates really impact us and really what we're able to offer because they are so low. And so it really, the, the refinance activities, I mean, we've, you know, I've got countless examples of churches that, that will call us and say, you know, we have this loan um, at XYZ Bank and it's paying this interest rate. Is there any way you, you guys could match that or, or, or could we get a lower interest rate? And we'd say, you know, that was a competitive interest rate back in 2013 when you took that loan out. But absolutely, we can help you. And not only can we help you on the interest rate side, we're your ministry partner that can then we provide these other services to really talk you through and we understand who you are um, versus sometimes where these other banks play in here because we are looking out for our churches and understanding that when interest rates are low like this, modifying a current interest rate can, can really impact ministry because those resources can be reallocated to, to further the kingdom. Yeah, so interest rates, and again, that's you make a fantastic point that you may have refinanced seven or eight years ago, and you thought, okay, well, you know, we're just going to kind of set it and forget it, but these things change, and you guys are monitoring this all the time, and that is a really good development even in all of this, and, you know, our church in Goodyear, Arizona was a recipient of that as well. Just the ability to refinance dramatically, dramatically helped us. So, but, but, we, but if you look at, for example, let's look at, at building projects. And I, I guess that's one question is, is if I'm a pastor, I'm thinking, man, like, is this ever going to come back? Are we going to be able to meet again? And, and how is this going to look? And what, what, what thoughts or advice or counsel would you have on your side of things? When we, when we look at future church construction, can we expect church buildings to be built in the future? Can we expect them to be built the way that they've been built? What are, what are you hearing? What are you sensing? What can we expect as we move forward? Well, um, great question, Tim. And I, I don't probably have the, the crystal ball that I can see the future, obviously. Right. But, you know, I will tell you a couple things. One, back when this, you know, I was just thinking you, you were you're talking about April and when we were last, when we were previously scheduled to do this podcast and really what has changed since then would have been an interesting question to ask me that question you're asking me now back in April, because here internally, as we we talked about the beginning of a pandemic and what's really going to happen to churches, to church building, to construction, um, what's going to happen to ministry, uh, both short-term and long-term because of where we're at. And there was a big question mark back then. And I think internally, our answer was, we really think that, you know, we've got some, some projects and some things in the works, but once those kind of push their way through, things are going to go quiet for a while because I think there is so much uncertainty and really what's going to happen with this virus and, and how is that going to impact meeting together and all of that, that we really thought that our pillar of loans would really slow down. And I think that's just a natural thought. We thought people would take a much more cautious approach. Um, but with interest rates low, and we're seeing, honestly, on, on our loan side, our lending activity is busier today than it ever has been in our history. Um, churches not only are looking to refinance, but churches are planning for that next wave of what is that going to be and investing in their facilities. And um, now they may look a little different. The footprints may be different. The square footage may be a little bit different. But we're seeing um, increased activity all over the country. Um, and it's, it's amazing. God is, God is still on the move. God is still God. And so while I think the footprint of churches may change somewhat, what I do believe I think is here to stay is multiple ways of delivery. And so whether, you know, a lot of churches have went online today and, and they're starting to bring people back here in Minnesota. We, my church that I go to, we have in-person services and it's streamed online and we have different, you know, different venues in our building to accommodate social distancing. But there may be, there may be some of that that stays. I know the, the online delivery, I believe is here to stay. And, and if you do some research and what does that cost? Um, technology is expensive and to do it in the right way. Now you can get by, you know, pretty much in the door, but we've seen churches talk about investing in, in, in having a more robust offering because we see that staying here longer term. But what does their building look like and how does it have to adapt? I think if they're going to be more adaptable, I think they're going to have spaces that 
if they don't, if they have their sanctuary where their, their main services are provided, their, whether it's their gym, the audio, you know, could, can a gym house a service if we stream it in there? The answer to that is yes. However, how does it sound acoustically? So churches now are thinking about now, how could we then use these other rooms as another way to deliver our services to our members and to our attenders? Because if we just stick them in a, in a gym without any sound protection, that's a that's an issue. So that people are thinking this through differently. But I, I really believe buildings are here to stay. I can think, you know, my six-year-old is uh, heavily involved in, in the Iwana program at our church. Now that looks different this year than it did last year, um, just because of of the of COVID and the pandemic. But last year there was a waiting list so long for Awana because the, the kids and we ran out of leaders and they were, and we had to have a lot of leaders in our Awana, but they still needed a place to meet and continue to, to, to soak in that goodness that Awana provides. So I don't see if we, if we move away from buildings or a smaller footprint of buildings, that's going to impact some of the ways churches are able to minister to people. And so I see, I see it maybe changing somewhat or maybe the makeup of a building, but I don't see buildings A, going away or B, really shrinking in size. I just see them being used possibly multiple ways. Does that make sense? Absol- well, absolutely. And because the, throughout human history, there have been pandemics and throughout human history, people have wanted to live in very close proximity and operate in very close proximity with one another. And it's a bit of a of a jump to think that that's going to somehow go away for even the remainder of our lifetimes at least you know most of us right it's just not going to it's not going to happen like that but what you make the point of that's really important is it's not like things are going to go back to normal either there's going to be these changes in terms of the delivery system and so i guess one thought is you know you guys do evaluate when you get when you give loans you do evaluate what is this money going to be spent on. And, and I would think that if a church is saying, Hey, we really need to renovate technologically to address where we're going in the future, that, that as you guys are evaluating, Hey, could, should we give this church X amount of dollars? You know, that would factor in like, Hey, we we understand that, that this, this is what they're trying to do given the environment that we're in. Does that make sense? Yeah, it really does. And I think that's, again, if I go back to a previous question you asked me earlier about, um, I have this vision and I have this dream, but where do I go from here? I think when we talk about audiovisual and it, the, the sheer cost of, of technology improvements, just that whole category, a lot of times we, we can really consult churches that say, we want to improve our, our technology and we really think it's going to cost this. And we can say, you know, we we work with churches all over the country, different parts of the country, different sizes, different budgets, different resources that that are able to be to be uh, allocated a certain way. And we can kind of give you a picture that says, you know, what are you looking to do? And here's about where we have seen this come in at. Instead of, you know, it saves really a step. Now, it's, it's, it's the church's responsibility to go out and get some bids, but we can really help them to say, I think you're in the ballpark there, or you're, you know, it's going to cost more than that, and here's why, or here's what you'll get. And so it is, it's, it's, it's helping churches look at, you know, what do they currently have on hand, where are they looking to go, and can they use us as a resource to help just speak into those areas where we've seen it time and time again really work out well. And it does seem, and this is this is why we're really at a point of reckoning. It does seem that historically, churches have tended to underestimate the costs of, of proper technology and underestimate the importance of it. You know, even when it came to time to you know looking at online giving and that sort of thing, and there were a lot of holdouts. Well, as soon as the pandemic hit, there aren't any holdouts anymore. Everybody was like, "Oh yeah, we're doing on they, all of their theological presuppositions about why you shouldn't give online." Just immediately evaporated, right? Right. Because we, this like, oh no, we don't, there's no verse in the Bible that says you have to show up and give in person, like we said right. three weeks ago. So, um, but on that though, then what are some of the mistakes? Because this is, you know, we're getting into some of the misconceptions that we have. What are some of the mistakes and misconceptions that you see church leaders make when it comes to approaching, you know, a capital campaign or a, or a, a capital project? Yeah, I mean, I think as far as really, if I if I think about um, a, a really a capital project or a purchase of a facility, a renovation, those types of things, there's really two things that come to mind. 
Um, number one, the misconception is how much is it really going to cost? Um, a lot of times we think that, you know, we can look at something and get an idea of, of well, I think this is about what we have to spend and we can get it done for, for this. That, that really is a misconception because, um, you know, we must count the cost before we, we enter into a contract or enter into an agreement. A lot of times decisions are made that we see where, where there's a misconception or, or, or we get into trouble a little bit is we make a decision without understanding really what is it going to cost us. And we have to look at that from multiple angles. So that's number one. Number two, I think, is how long is it going to take? And so if, if we're looking to... Um, if a church is looking to do an expansion, let's say, and they say, we can get this done. We want to get this done by, by Christmas. And it's November 10th today. Now that's probably an extreme example, but we, we may say, um, I think we can get it done in this amount of time. And it usually it's, it's like the old saying, things always take longer than you think they're going to take. And that's really true because we're dealing with not only um, expansion of a facility or an improvement, but usually there's there's permitting, there's codes that need to be followed, there's inspections that need to happen, there's a lot of times delays in the construction project for a number of reasons. If it's a if we're doing a if a church is doing an expansion on an existing facility that's an older facility, when you start you know tearing down a wall, a lot of times you find surprises. And so we have contingencies that are built into our projects that help churches get through those times, but those inevitably will make the project take longer because we didn't know that was there. So those are really the two things. How much is it going to cost and how long is it going to take? Yeah. And I, you're right. People do tend to, we make these assumptions. And I think in our world as pastors and leaders, we deal with the intangibles, you know, theological concepts and people's growing spiritually and that sort of thing. But when you get into the world of construction, it's very tangible. And, you know, two two objects cannot occupy the same place at the same time. And those are realities. And, you know, we experienced that when we did our expansion and we were going like, wow, okay, you know, you need, if, if, if a pipe needs to be moved three feet and you can't do the other 15 things until you move that pipe, well, guess what? And the guy that moves the pipe is on vacation, you know, and right. There's just, what are you going to, you can't do anything. I mean, you are literally, you are at the mercy of, of people that, uh, you know, the guy with the wrench and, and that's the way. And it, yeah. I think that shocks a lot of people because it's like, well, why can't we do this? So you're right. Building in the contingency, building in, you know, and there's and even, even leaving a little room for project creep too. I mean, that's just going to happen because sometimes you go, hey, you know what? There's a wall here. If we actually move, if we actually kind of tweak this three, you know, four more, five more feet, we can get X amount of result out of this. But that requires, and some of that's not bad because if you don't do that, right? Because you don't know everything when you walk into a project like that, right? Right. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, that's the, but that's back to counting the cost. A lot of times we'll see when we get a, we get a preliminary budget on a project. So they'll say, we're looking to spend, let's say $500,000 on, on upgrading our um, audiovisual uh, lighting and some, some interior improvements. And so a lot of times they'll say, well, what's most important? Well, we need, we need new, new seating and that's gonna cost this. And we know that's gonna cost us because we've got a hard bid on that. And then it goes, wow, that's actually gonna cost us $450,000, let's just say with our, our um, just the five hundred thousand dollar number I threw out there as a, uh, as a as a number to work off of. So that leaves us fifty thousand dollars left. We can get all of our lighting and everything done because we could see them on their budget sheet. They just put fifty thousand dollars in there to make it balance, and we'd say, you know, that's really not enough. Um, so if you start this project, you start tearing out your lighting because you think you can get it done for fifty thousand. You're gonna you're gonna run into some problem there. So that's again where that consultative approach comes in that says. Do we make sure we count the cost before we start d demolishing things and have you really look at getting hard bids on this so you really know what you're getting into or what you can can't afford that's so important today when you're dealing with with money with borrowing you know what's really an appropriate amount of of, of debt for us to carry as a, as a congregation and so uh, those are really some critical critical things I think that we bring to the table that clarity and that 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 family member, that friend that you can just talk this through and say, you know, here's some ideas, here's some things we're thinking about. We, This is about what we have to work with. Do you think that we could borrow this and make this work? And we can really help come alongside and help people. 
Yeah, and I think it's clarifying expectations too, because it that's where you move from the it what the the strategy then turns into a character issue. You know, if you say you're going to build this, but it doesn't look like the picture, and it doesn't look like, and it's not the same cost. It's like, well, you you know, the pastor all of a sudden in the building committee and whatever is, well, they didn't they didn't do their homework, and now it becomes a case. Opposed to wait a second, guys. Let's really do the work on the front end and then build in for some of those things that we didn't necessarily count on. But you mentioned the word, the issue of debt. And I want to get into that because I know, I know there's not a lot of churches like this, but there are, but in, in every church, there is a school of thought that says that it is wrong for churches to be in any kind of debt. And I remember when I was, when we were looking at our capital campaign and our, and our capital project. And we had people come to us and say, well, you know, if you tell the, if you're telling the church or if you're telling the people in the church and you're teaching, you should get out of debt. Why would the church then purposely go into more debt? How do you help a pastor and a church leader answer a question like that? Yeah. You know, Tim, I think this is a really important question to ask, you know, when a church is considering a loan or really as you're seeking God's will, um, and really, where is he leading? Where is he leading the church? And so, you know, I think the way that we look at that is is we really believe that um, as long as you have debt on something, as long as the the value doesn't doesn't exceed the cost, or as long as the cost doesn't exceed the value, is really an important way to look at it. Because if God's moving missionally in your church, and you really believe that that you know there are the telltale signs that we're growing, we're expanding, lives are being changed, we're running out of space, and how do we continue to allow God and His mission to continue to work through this church? Is we need more space because people are coming. Um, I think those are some of the discerning things you really need to look at as you start to think about that next step and possibly taking on some debt. Um, you know, the number one, the focus has to be on paying it off. And so we really help churches look at that to say, what's an appropriate level of debt for your congregation that is a conservative number? Um, we never want to put a church in a position that is, I have this, I have this dream kind of back to your initial question that we would just, we would just fund that. Um, without real concrete examples and buy-in and from the congregation. The congregation approves alone. That's typically how congregationally led churches uh, make decisions, as you know. But really, the goal has to be a focus on paying it off. And so uh, the, the loans that we do uh, write, we write them for 25 years. But in our history, when I go back and look at the history of all the loans we've done over all these years, the average re payment is about seven and a half years. So churches understand this, that this may be a small season that we're going to absorb some debt, but the goal is to is to retire it. And that just shows in the history and all of the statistics that we have that churches do pay it off in approximately seven to eight years. Um, not living beyond your means is the other real big important piece when I think you look at debt. That is a, and that's why when you have a partner or a friend that's helping you work through these these issues within your churches, maybe your typical bank doesn't ask those questions because they're looking to get the the largest amount of income from somebody they're lending money to because it 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 makes the bottom line bigger, and so that's just a different viewpoint in how we look at those things. There's just a couple of other other. Um, questions I think that are concepts that I think churches and church leaders and pastors that that are that are talking about the debt issue should take into consideration. You know, one is if God is moving in our church and we're running out of space or or, or our facility needs desperately needs some improvements um, and it's going to cost us a million dollars, let's say, for us to say we're, we're, we're debt averse, to raise that amount of money and to save that um, usually takes a lot of time. And, and when you look at to say a million dollars today is not going to be a million dollars in five years. And so if we are always chasing it. And so if we're trying to save it, we get to that point of, of five years from now, we've got our million dollars. We go back to do our improvements. This is back to the counting the cost question. Now it costs us $1.4 million to do what we wanted to do five years ago that was a million. And now we need to raise an additional 400000 And our ministry suffers because we, you know, we haven't improved our facility or we continue to be out of space 
or I mean, you go ahead and fill the blank in. So that's one thing to consider. The other one is if we're renting. So let's say we're renting and we're, and we're contemplating, should we buy a building? Um, where's that money going every month that we're renting? We're continuing to, to pay that out without having anything in value really to return to. So we would say if you, re, you know, reallocated that rent payment to what a mortgage payment would be with the with the plan and the assumption and the desire to pay that off quickly, you would have your own facility that would hold value longer. And actually that we would, we would look at that to say ministry can really expand there because there's a certainty that it's your building, not a rental with, we looked at rental facilities. There's other issues that come into the equation there of, of what if the landlord changes over and you have to move and what does that do to ministry expansion, at least in the short term, relocation. Uh, there's just a lots of other different questions to be asking. So that's a long answer to your question. I hope I answered it, but those are just some of the things that we do when, when we hear that we sit down and we really talk that through with, with potential borrowers. Yeah. And I, I think, especially when you talk about the rent versus paying the mortgage, people can understand that in their own lives. I mean, it's, it's typically better to own a home, everybody knows that even though if you're carrying a mortgage to make a mortgage payment, you can, you know, there's perks and everything else and you can, it's a better situation than just renting. The other thing that I, when I was going through and we didn't have a lot, we had a few and it was like, all right, that's a legitimate question. How do we answer that? And the, what I, and I, you know, in my feeble brain, and I don't even know if this was right, but I, I felt like it worked is what I said to everybody was, I said, look, if you went out and you doubled the size of your house, if you just said, you know what, let's go move from a you know, a 1500 square foot house to a 3000 square foot house, you wouldn't expect your income at your job to double. There's two are totally unrelated because that's a personal thing. Right. Right. And so, and yet when we do this at as, as if we double the amount of space that we have at our church, we can reasonably expect as long as our ministry systems are good and there isn't anything we can reasonably expect to, to create space for more people who will come and then give more. And then it's just all kind of works itself out in that sense that, that in other words, the expansion is tied to the income. And I think that's a reasonable right. thing to be able to tell people that that's, it's not the case with your house, right? I mean, your income isn't tied to your house unless you run like a foster, you know, care house or something where you have, a, you know, some people do, they have a lot of kids and they're like, we need yep. a seven bedroom house. Cause we're going to get, so, but right. I mean, that's the whole thing. Yeah, and it's and that's it. You know, we always talk about the church isn't the building. We know that. And so again, we're not just, you know, that's why you have a friend to really talk these issues through and really how we view ourselves as part of this equation is to say, you know, why are you doing the renovation? What's going on in your church? Share some stories about life change or what are you really excited about? And then how do you see this expansion, this second campus you want to build, this, you know, fill the blank? And how do you see that really? matching into where God is leading you and how do you see it fitting in there? It's not because the, you know, the church down the street put an addition on. So, well, we should probably put an addition on too. Obviously that's, that's the wrong way to look at that. But the reason you're, the way you said it, Tim is exactly right. There there's needs there. We continue to expand it. We will see additional giving, at least we hope to, that helps offset some of this, but the end of the day, we want to retire this as quickly as possible. And like I said, when I was first, one of the first things I said to this question was, we see that in in the history of doing this, that churches pay this off in between seven and eight years. That's just the way it is. The, the, the people in the pews, leadership at the church realizes that it's a tool. Money is a tool. That the building is a tool to help us expand our ministry and really live out where God's calling us to go. And we're going to borrow money for a short period of time to get there. And then we retire it. And then we look to see you know, really where we're at, but it's not a long-term um, agreement that we're looking to have debt forever. That That's never been a conversation that I've been, you know, here for over 13 years. It's always about, okay, we're going to use this for now for this part, for this reason, CIF is going to help us. They're going to help us think through these things and with the goal to pay it off and to pay it off quickly. And that's typically what we've seen time and time again. So then I want to drive on this a little further because in our district, it spans seven different Western states and we've got churches and I've, as I've been traveling around and kind of orienting myself to all the different contexts that we have, we have churches in, in that are in some very high dollar areas, Southern California, Bay Area. I was just in actually in Salt Lake City recently and, and wow, I mean, the, the property there has gone up a ton and just hearing stories of guys talking about 
trying to get into buildings there. And the land continues to increase in value. And then as I'm dra- traveling around, I'm, as I'm talking to their pastors, there's churches that they'll, they'll give me a tour and say, yeah, this building was built in 1960 and it's paid off. And, you know, it's like in Orange County or something, or it's in some other place that's I'm going and I'm sitting there going, holy cow, this place has got to be worth millions and millions of dollars now. But but then the reality is, let's say it's a newer pastor who's just kind of maybe been there a few years. And there's this acknowledgement, like, yeah, it's kind of run down. It kind of it's like it was built in 1960 and you can kind of tell, you know. Um, and so in my mind, and again, I, I, this is not financial advice because you're the financial guy. I'm just the ignorant guy that just wants to throw questions out there and see what happens in my mind. If, if that was me, I'd go, man, now I'd want to maybe do a capital campaign to, to do some renovations, whatever else, but I want to, I want to rob, I want to yank some of that equity out of there and refinance. Cause I mean, there's potentially millions of dollars just sitting there. And, and yet these, some of these churches are hanging on to these shoestring budgets and like, well, we would hire this person, but we don't have any money because we're only down to like 50 people and the, you know, the building can seat 400 and we would do this. And so it's like this incrementalism, like you're talking about, and I'm going, the money's in there. What, what, what do you, if I called you up and said, man, I'm sitting on this paid off church property. I got all these things I want to do. I want to yank a bunch of money out of this thing and re, re, refacade it, refurbish it bring some life into it. Is that a good plan? Yeah. Again, I think it goes back to answering the question um, that I asked, you know, a few minutes ago or that I really um, alluded to is that, you know, what's really the purpose? Where do you feel God leading you? Um, You know, to have a, to have a building that is, that is, we, I would, I would define what you said. I would say of the building is tired. If it's 1960s and it hasn't been updated, it's probably tired and it needs, it does need a facelift. Um, and we, we would say, let's, yes, let's, you can tap into that equity and repurpose it to, to renovate the facility, to, to get it up to, to par, improve the acoustics. And when we were talking about what's the longer term, uh, plan really for buildings going forward post COVID area. And that's where we would look at to say, how can you still have a different service delivery here? Because, you know, you can't use various rooms for certain things anymore because they're not technologically um, on par with where things need to be. How can we take the money that we already have in this property, take some of it out and get this property up to where we need it to be so that we can continue to live out the mission we believe God is calling us to do. That is absolutely a resounding yes. And we work with churches um, on that topic uh, all the time of how do we take money out that we currently have and and, and do a, a construction project. There's a couple of, of things that come to mind when I think of, and even buildings or facilities that you know, they're not maybe a new construction, but, but really what are some things that we've done that have renovated existing buildings uh, for ministry. And one that comes to mind is, a you know, an old car dealership. You think about that, that was sitting vacant over in the Midwest and, and a church bought it and renovated that a car dealership into a church. And so they obviously didn't have any problems with parking because they had a lot of parking spaces for this, for, for parking new cars. But um, but that was just a really a cool transformation we saw. The second one is, is taking in an old bowling alley that was um, uh, vacant, you know, and it was sitting vacant for a long period of time. And, and the leadership of the church saw the potential of taking that facility and turning it into, and turning it into a church. And that was done too. Um, again, another way to take something that initially doesn't look like a church, but making it a church building because of the renovations, because there's, there, there's equity in that property. If they buy it, the value is going to far out exceed the cost of what is it, you know, what are you getting it for today with that vision and, and the, really that prompting and discernment of where God is leading um, your congregation. Well, and don't get me wrong. I don't think that, that applying to, to refinance or to pull money out of your paid off church building is the magic bullet to everything that you want or need in life. You, it has to be accompanied by a solid ministry vision and plan. It has to be accompanied by looking at your community and saying, what are the opportunities here? But it's, it, it, it's there, it's sitting there and it can be a massive tool, especially in an area that is built out that you're, you're sitting right there on top of it, but you got to have the good ministry there. The other thing that we have is like, we, we have churches in the, like, for example, in the Bay area, 
you know, it is like impossible to build something from the ground right now um, in the, much of the Bay Area because, first of all, a lot of it's just built out. But second of all, it's just completely cost prohibitive. So we, you know, it's like how in the world, how in the world are we ever going to get a, a, you know, we have some facilities in, in the Bay Area. The problem is if, and here's what happens, if these churches don't do that and they continue to have that tired facility like you're talking about and they stay at the 60 people, 50, 40, and now they can't even afford to do their ministry operations, where do they do? They sell the building. And, you know, either the EFCA gets some money, which most of the time they don't, um, or they get, or some multi-site takes it, or they sell it to some other organization. And guess what? In the Bay Area, that it, it'll never come back. That'll Once it flips from being a church and it gets rezoned to a business, it can never go back to being a church because they won't zone for any new churches. So it's critical that we keep these properties. So then, or buy something else. So what do you say? Do you Are you guys able to help people in that situation, like you said, to buy an existing, you know, corporate center or s- something else and, and help them see how they could renovate something that's, because that's the only option that they have. Yeah, I would say, you know, our expertise is more on the numbers side. So to look at a project like that for, you know, for somebody to bring the idea forth, you know, I think to say, hey, there's this there's this vacant, um, you know, building that we see here or and we're looking to to buy it and renovate it. Again, there's two things. There's a purchase and then there's cost to renovate. But here's what we're going to turn it into. And there, there's firms that we work with that, you know, architectural firms that really help design a lot of these types of things. Um, and we help with the numbers of putting that piece together to say, with your church of this many people, with your budget of this size, you know, what's been your growth trends? There's a lot of different questions that we ask to say, yeah, this is the type of dollar amount that makes sense that we would be able to give you. Because when you think about, when you think through what I said earlier, we never want to get a church in trouble to say, you know, you're, you're a congregation of 40 people and you want to you want to do a $10 million project, you know, that that isn't going to work. The economics doesn't work with that. I, you know, typically, it doesn't. I'm not going to say in every case. Well, unless like uh, unless Kanye goes to your church or something. Maybe. Like. Yeah. I mean, there that would probably you'd have a, yeah, you're a couple <laughs> steps ahead, I guess, on, if, if he was going there. But yes, I mean, majority that doesn't work. But we don't want to get a church in a situation where it's a mistake, where finally the work gets done, now they can't make the payment, or it's such a stretch that it really impacts the ministry, the vision of where the church was going, because they're so ridden with debt. That gets back to your debt question. That's really important that we keep those in balance, because we don't want to see ministry siphoned. We want to see ministry expanding. And so that's our really, where's our role in that? But yes, churches will come to us and say, a vacant facility here, a building over there, we want to buy that and we want to transform that building into this. And this is what, you know, this is the plans that we got. How does it fit into if we did a capital campaign and raise some money internally, plus a loan, plus we have some money saved up on hand, how can we make this work? And those are the, those are the conversations and that consultative approach of being a family member or a phone call away that we'd love to sit down at the table with and say, let's talk about this. If you can't get there today, you can get there in a year. And here's the path of how you how you need to do it to get there, where you can absorb that, um, not only the, the facility, but to absorb that payment and understand how it all fits together, where you're not wondering how, you know, if we lose a family or something happens with a, uh, you know, illness or something, and, and we're not able to, uh, you know, to have that income coming in, how are we going to make the payment? We never want a church to get in that situation where that's the thing. It's how do we to free you from that so you can focus on what you do best, and that is really ministering to people. Yeah, and again, that goes back to the concept of of you guys are part of the EFCA family. You should be the first call. You should be the first call, and you should be. And that's why the ChristianInvestors.org. That's the website. Uh, go on there and look and see. You should be, and you should be the first call. And I can tell you too. Um, I was a senior pastor for twelve years at Compass Church in Goodyear. When I first got there, there was some real challenges um, that we had, and uh, you could go back in the history and probably look at that and see how bad of a situation it was in. But, but uh, without going into all the details, had we been with a typical bank, we probably would have been foreclosed on. I mean, it was like it was bad, um, and and and. Because of some stuff that happened, but th- without getting too far into it, we had to turn a lot of that around. But what happened was, though, is you guys were able to step in and 
and because we were part of the family, you know, able to do some things that helped us get through that difficult time. We reconfigured some stuff. And then, gosh, you know, um, nine years later, we we were able to to do a, a, a million dollar plus expansion that went tremendously well, barely even increased our, our mortgage payment. It was like, it was like, no, we didn't even feel it. And we got a massive amount of, um, you know, more space for gathering, for student ministry, for children's ministry, renovated the inside. There was just a lot there, but that, that leads me to the idea of capital campaign consulting. Cause you do that as well. Why should, why should a church consider capital campaign consultants as opposed to just, you know, doing it in house? Cause Hey, we got a guy over here that, that did something at his old church 20 years ago or whatever. Yeah, that's a great question, Tim. We, we do get that from time, you know, time to time when we go in and we present to a, a church board or, or something when they're, they're evaluating, do we go it alone um, or do we, do we bring somebody in and then how do we justify justify really the cost of that service. And so really uh, the the best way I can describe it, and I'll I'll start here and then I'll kind of get into the the detail. One is, is really um, it's kind of like the player coach mentality. So let's say, Tim, I believe you're a runner. So let's just say the first time that you're ever going to run a marathon or, or do something, you can, you can not have a coach, a trainer, um, not look up anything online, just say, I'm going to, I'm going to train this myself. I'm going to eat a certain way. I'm going to, you know, maybe increase my distance every so often. And I'm going to, I'm going to do this my way. And, and you very well may finish and cross that finish line. I mean, I hope that you would, but if you took it, looked at it a different way and said, if I got a little bit of help here, the first time I do this, um, what, what benefits am I going to get out of this? Am I, am I actually going to improve my time? Am I going to prevent injury? Am I going to put more inputs, better inputs into my body, train the right muscles from people that have done it before, from people that are trained in this area? I might have a more pleasant experience. I may have a quicker time and I may have less complications from injury or those types of things. That's the way I would look at it for how we do from capital campaign and our consulting arm is because we believe that we are that coach that comes in and provides accountability. We provide, you know, years of, of working with churches of various sizes to help them think through a multitude of different ways of raising funds. But we, the church assembles the team and we provide guidance along the way that just helps helps them think through things that, you know, in, back to my running analogy, that you probably shouldn't run 14 miles your first day training because you're going to have complications and that's going to hurt the rest of your training. There's things that we know of best practices of working with almost 500 or five, yeah, it's 500 churches over the years of raising money with them, small to large of where are the right ways to do this? Where are some other ways that you might not want to do this? And this is, that's, again, we are, this is what we do. A lot of times, if you do it internally or go it alone, it, it is like what you said. Somebody's got some experience over here or they've done something over there before, but they also have a full-time job and a family and this. So how much time can they really devote to this process? And we come in and we provide that constant accountability and help throughout the entire campaign. Yeah. And I look at it like, like planning a wedding, you know, and, and I had a little wedding business a while ago that was kind of an evangelistic thing. And, and you, and so I go to these and you'd see people do being involved in a very emotional event. It's a very, emo, and it's a one-time thing. And they go in like, oh yeah, this is what we're going to, it's like, you've never planned, you've been to weddings, but you've never planned a wedding before. You have no idea what you're doing. And there's a lot of voices speaking into the process in a, in a highly emotional kind of a thing. And I think that's what, what happens here oftentimes is we, oh yeah, well, we, you know, we got Bob over here and we got uh, Susie over there and she were, you know, she was at a construction company and we, you know, we'll figure this out. And it's, it's like a disaster. The other side of it too, is let's say it costs $30,000. Um, to hire a, a capital campaign, but let's say it costs through, but it nets you a hundred thousand more than you would have gotten. And it's hard sure. to measure that. But, but if you go through the process and it's not even just like, cause you can probably go find on the internet somewhere like a capital campaign process, but actually having somebody who walks you through it, you, what does it matter if you pay 30 grand, if it nets you a hundred grand or most of the time it nets you way more than that. But I was just being conservative. I think that you know, uh, our experience with capital campaign consultants is, is absolutely essential to do it. 
And I, I think it's important that you're, you're saying that's got to be part of the mix there is, is having that person. Otherwise, if you go it alone, it, it's, uh, you, you, yeah, again, you get to the end, you're like, man, I could have done so much better if I had just taken that step. And that's like anything. I mean, you know, think of, of projects or something that you're going to tackle the first time if you've never done it before. You will learn a lot along the way. And, and so the next time you were to do it, you'd already have all these lessons that you've already learned. Um, we've already learned those lessons for you. We've seen them. So we can really help, like you said, provide clarity and provide a, a, a more seamless process that maybe isn't as painful. If that's a way to look at it. But, but just there's just parts of it that we really bring to the table with all the experience. And, you know, I think that um, hiring somebody that has expertise like this allows the church to really continue to focus on where they're going instead of being focused on what are we going to do next or how do we make this work? And we're just a phone call away to really help think that those decisions through, because that's a big decision to make too. Um, Do we hire a consultant and why would we, why wouldn't we? And we can look at it from both sides because, because we would obviously advise having a, a coach in the room, but we've seen other, other instances that people have, have done them their own way. They haven't gone maybe as we maybe thought that they should have, but we can at least talk through those stories and help people see both sides of, of the equation and then allow the church to make the best decision for them. Yeah. I'm just a huge believer in that in experts and in, 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 especially when you're making massive decisions. Cause if you don't, if you don't have the expert in the room, you lose time, you lose money, and then the blame game starts. And then really having that third party who can objectively come in and then you basically say, look, we're going to defer to this to this representative, this person we brought in because they they know more than all of us. You know, it's like it's like, uh, you know, Ron Swanson, when he walks into Lowe's and the guy says, can I help you? And he's like, I know more than you. It's like they know more than you in this situation. I don't know where I got that that this popped into my head. <laughs> But but it's it's true, and I think it's important to to really hit on that. So it's got to be your first call. The other thing, then, um, and we've covered a lot of ground here. The other thing I think too that is a, is a is an interesting part because when people do campaigns, what what I found at least was so eye opening to me was how we, and I, this sounds bad, but how we were able to get into other pockets if, if you for example like because most people are going to tithe you know their 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 paycheck or whatever or not most people but the people that will give will give up what their income is but when you do a campaign for a capital project you you're able to get into a place where people go you know what i have this stock over here or i have this you know these funds over here the savings over here and i've been waiting to figure out something noble to do with it and you've provided an opportunity now for that person to to basically worship God in that way. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, that's really the, that's the foundation of the services that the consulting and campaign services that we provide is really, it's, it's a prayerfully led process that, that we really help walk the church and really the leadership team that we put together or help the church put together um, is, is strictly based on that where we, we are able to say, let's, prayerfully consider this, but as a congregation, but as a leadership team, and let's see the stories that that God is going to be doing and working as we embark on this journey together. And we see that. We see God touching lives and this ministry vision that is laid out of where we're going, of people, yes, selling that stock, selling that asset, giving really out of their not out of their out of their income, if you will, but out of their assets mm-hmm. to to help fund ministry. And you know, it's it's not about the dollar amount; it's about the transformative nature that happens within the heart, where where the the purse or the pocketbook, you know, is just opened up because God is really changing the heart. And uh, it's it's a beautiful journey to be along to to see God tangibly working in congregations all over the country. And it's one of the greatest joys that that uh, I know our team experiences is to say, look at how God showed up in this one or how God showed up in that one, or this is an amazing story. And it's, it's, it is, it's, it's, it's invigorating. And just to see, we know what's going to happen where the church is going and how many more people and lives are going to be changed because we sold this, you know, this family or this individual over here made a decision. God felt God leading him 
or her to sell that stock, to sell that asset, and to turn those dollars into ministry expansion. It's it's amazing. Yeah, and it, I love that because there that's the heart behind it. And I think we have so much untapped potential. And that that's the thing is there are people who I think you know, they, they are waiting to, to, they go, you know, I've got this and they're, they're I want to be able to contribute. I want to be able, and it's, it's not tied to their income. It's not about their income. They, they don't think of it that way. They don't want to necessarily pay to, to keep the lights on. They want to pay to be, they want to fund something great. And we, you know, I remember Seth Godin talked about that, you know, the, the, the relationship between the nonprofit and the, and the, and the contributor to the nonprofit. And it's like, well, we think, well, these guys, they have all this money, but yeah, but the role you play in that person's life is you're giving them the chance to do something meaningful. And I, I we've really got to be bold in that, especially as we embark on these, these next years of, of all that's going on and the opportunities that we have. So one final thing, I want you because we you you do also offer people the opportunity as long as we're talking about this to be part of funding these projects. I mean, you, this is an investment thing. So how is how is your investment um, opportunities that you give people? How is that different than a, you know investing in a mutual fund or or whatever else? If people have money and they go, you know, I'd love to be to help in funding some of these things. What, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I think that's you know that's one of the things that that is a misconception. Of, of how uh, one of the services that we offer is that term investment. So when, you know, we, we've done some research, actually we partnered with Barna this year um, to do some research nationally for us on the term investments. And when people hear the term investments, what do they think? And they do think of, of stocks, they think of, of brokers, they think of, of, you know, financial advisors, and that's, that's normal. Um, the reason why we call them investments is because we're not a we're not a bank, but the the products that we sell um, look a lot like the products that you have in the bank. So our investments are more really like a it's a name that's more like a, a savings or a, a certificate of deposit that you would have at, at a bank. And so instead of putting your money in a savings account or buying a, a CD, you'd actually buy a, a product that looks very much like those from us. We pay you interest just like the bank pays you interest. And then those are the dollars that we use to lend out um, to churches for this these projects that ultimately lead to change lives. So really, it's a decision that says, if I can get the comparable interest rates from one from uh, from where I've got my money now to possibly CIF, you know, is that ministry expansion piece meaningful to me. And that's really the story that, that we, that we tell and that people from all across this country have been a part of us for, you know, we've been around for over 60 years, continue to put their money with us and we continue to see ministry expand. Like I said earlier, that our, our loan requests and loan business is busier than it's ever been. And we continue to see God's faithfulness, not only in bringing churches to us, but people that say, I want to be a part of that. I want my money while I'm, it's it's still theirs, and but temporarily CIF's going to lend it out just like a bank does with your money. But I want to see that impact and, and come in here and let us let us tell you the stories of how your money is being used for ministry expansion. And there's story after story after story out there that uh, makes my heart beat a little faster just thinking about it right now. So I think that that's really what it is. It's it's not we're not a you know we're not a broker we're not a financial advisor we the products we sell look a lot like what you have down at the street at your local bank, and yet the difference is we use that those funds for truly changing lives. Lives are changed by the money that we lend out, and anybody can be a part of that. Yeah, and that's just fantastic. And again, it's part of being in the family. It's part of being in the tribe that says, you know what, these, these are our people. And and obviously people outside of EFCA, I know you, you could do some business with them as well. So that's not, the, the, but it's, I think everybody understands what we're trying to say. It's like, wow, there's a lineage, there's a heritage. And, and there's people listening right now who go, you know what, I, I, wow, I could just go put my money over here, or I could actually use it to help fund these, um, these projects and, and kind of that's a way that God's using you. And I, I, this has been such a fantastic conversation. I want everybody to go to christianinvestors.org 
check it out. Make Christian Investors your first call. If you don't know how to move forward, if you need, it's like, what about master planning? What about, you know, capital campaign consulting? What about refinancing? Whatever it is on your mind, if they can't help you, they'll find somebody who can, but go, but, but. Go to the people who who share the mission and share the values and who've been there for a long time. And that's the thing. Then one of the things we're trying to say more than anything else is you're not alone. Maybe you're fresh out of seminary is your first senior pastor job. Maybe you're tired and you're looking at your 1960s building going, what do we do? Are we stuck? Maybe it's COVID and COVID's got you kind of like, you know, in vapor locked right now. Like, I don't know what to do. He, we, uh, Scott just said, Scott's just said, they're busier than ever. So there's no reason for you right now to not figure out some way to move forward. So Scott Ochterling, president and CEO of Christian Investors, thank you so much for spending time on the EFCA West podcast with me. Uh, I'm so grateful and I know so many people are going to benefit from this and hopefully you will be even busier than you are now. Thanks so much, Tim. Been great to be with you today. All right. God bless, brother. 